On today's show, I was finally made an offer by a movie that I couldn't refuse. That's right. For the first time ever, I finally watched The Godfather. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Clear Tinted Classics. I'm your host, Jake Baker, and I'm here to tell you about movies that I've never watched before. And unfortunately, up until now, one of those movies was The Godfather. Now, this is the first episode I've ever recorded, so I'm going to be winging it a lot, trying to feel my way out. I sort of have a rough format that I want to work out, but first I'd like to kind of explain myself. Obviously, I won't be doing this uh, this is who I am thing every episode, hopefully, but we'll see what happens. Starting off, my name is Jake Baker, and a little thing about me, I've kind of blissfully walked through this life without ever having watched a lot of movies that I probably should have watched so many and so high profile that I should probably feel more embarrassed than I really do. Obviously, one of those was The Godfather, but another one was The Godfather 2, which will hopefully be the second episode. We'll see what happens. But yeah, that's sort of where the premise of this show was born from. The idea that I've kind of never seen a lot of the classic movies that a lot of people have seen, especially someone that would call themselves a movie buff. Like, honestly, I would. So I'm trying to make up for that now. I've created this show as an excuse to go back and watch movies that I should have seen a long time ago. And because of my unique perspective, I decided, hey, what the hell? Why not create a show based on that idea? Why not do this thing where you go back and watch movies that everyone's loved for years and years and years with fresh eyes for the very first time and give your own unique thoughts on it. In fact, part of trying to buy into this premise is I'm recording this episode. Literally, I just finished watching The Godfather. It's the menu still playing in the background. I have it on mute, though, hopefully. Uh, that's a, another thing I should note. The quality of this show will probably be not very good because it's my first time doing anything ever of this sort. And uh, yeah, fuck it. I don't know. Why not record a podcast? It'll be fun, right? Who gives a shit? Uh, another note I should probably make. This show will be R-rated because I cuss a lot and I can't really fucking help myself. I forced that last fuck in there. I'm sorry. I don't know why. Anyway, I feel like I got a little bit off track there. I just want to tell you a few things about me. Um, first off, why should you be listening to this show in the first place? Why should you even give the remotest shit? What I have to say about movies, uh, the answer to that question is you shouldn't. You really shouldn't because I am a nobody. I live in the middle of bumfuck Indiana. And all I can say is I really like movies. Um, I study screenwriting. I'm a filmmaker myself, but I'm never going to try to bore you people with those details. <laughs> you people. Like anyone's going to listen to this fucking thing. Anyway, honestly, jumping off of that point. I kind of view this show as sort of what's going to become my sort of online diary in a way. Like, I really truly believe that people should record their thoughts about things, whether it's writing or typing it down somewhere, having a notepad. And I guess I'm going to do it in like an audio format vis-a-vis this fucking podcast, I guess. As far as the uh, format of this show goes, I'm still kind of working that out myself. I have a rough idea of what I'd like to do. Um, will it always be me? Maybe not. You know, I'd like to have guests, but I'm also very aware that any guests I have will be as equally unimportant 
as I am. No offense to anybody that's ever on the show in the future, but it's the facts. Like, no, I mean, almost every podcast I've ever listened to has been by somebody who at least is doing something else in the world. And they're like, and then also I review chain restaurants and uh, I'm kind of funny, so that's why you should listen to this show, you know? I do believe in a strong premise, and as I said before, the premise of this show is that I've not seen a lot of classic movies, and I'm going to watch them for the first time and give my nostalgia-free opinions on them. Just fresh out the gate. I didn't grow up watching these movies. This is the very first time I've watched these movies for the most part. Maybe if I run out of shit to watch, I'll review stuff I watched for the first time, but I'm kind of relatively infamous for my lack of knowledge of like sort of classic type movies. I freely admit this, despite how people might feel about this, but I just watched the Star Wars, original Star Wars trilogy for the first time, like about a year ago. I'd never seen it before then. Obviously, I was very aware of a lot of the common tropes of it, you know, but I just, I missed out. I didn't grow up with parents who were really cinephiles and I watched a lot of dumb shit on loop when I was a kid and Disney movies and that's all I ever really watched so I just flat out missed out and you know that's where the name of the show comes from clear tinted classics sort of a play on words in terms of the rose tinted view that people have on movies that they grew up watching you know I have that same opinion like hell I to this day quote the movie Malibu's Most Wanted all the time just because I happened to have it on tape when I grew up and you know I get it I get nostalgia I really do and I think part of that is I can bring a fresh view to some of these movies that maybe people hold in such high regard and I can be sort of this lens to focus criticism through where you realize like is it truly great if someone's watching it in this day and age fresh for the first time does it hold up hopefully i can answer that question also i'm one dude with probably very biased opinions i'll do my best to be objective but it is what it is so um yeah i don't know uh i guess a lot of the strength of the premise doesn't really rely on people knowing me in the first place because you either do or you don't there's nothing that's really going to change that so fuck it i planned on saying a bunch of stuff in the intro but let's just Get to the damn show. Why not? Why not? That's the premise of the show, right? If for some god-awful reason you clicked on this thing, you're probably like, all right, okay, this guy watched The Godfather for the first time. What the fuck's he got to say? And then you just had to sit through what? Like, God, I don't even, I'm not even keeping track of time. Like, however many minutes of me rambling about dumb shit about myself, let's just move on. Moving on. This is me moving on i swear to god let me check my notes okay yes that's right i decided i'm going to start every episode with a brief summary of the film i just watched if for some reason you're listening to this show and you have not watched the movie that i am reviewing I'm going to give a brief summary of what i just watched probably part of the reason is also because it might be slightly comedic for me to try to recall these movies fresh off the bat i'm terrible at summarizing things so hopefully there'll be some comedy in that but who fucking knows for today's episode i watched the godfather and that's kind of a hard movie to summarize i will do my best the movie opens with marlon brando talking to some people there's a big ass wedding he grants a bunch of favors they seem kind of random at the time but having just watched the film it's kind of nice how it all ends up factoring into the story somewhat he gets approached by a dude that wants to deal drugs. He's like, nah, fuck that. That ends up blowing up in his face. He gets shot. I about pissed my pants. I couldn't believe that Marlon Brando 
was going to die like so early in the film. And then it turns out he doesn't die. And then Al Pacino's his son. They try to deal with the drug guy. Al Pacino decides to kill the drug guy and a cop. And he runs off to Italy for a while. And the angry son tries to handle the business for a while. He gets killed. Basically, a lot of people die. I mean, I guess that's just kind of how it is when you're in the mafia. Everyone's just killing each other all the time. Except Marlon Brando somehow lives for a while until he dies in like a fucking orange garden, getting squirted by his grandson for some reason. Um, so then Al Pacino's in charge, and he's cold as a motherfucker for some reason, and he guns everybody down during a really cool scene while he's baptizing his godson. And then it's like, yep, he's in charge now, and everybody that fuck with him is dead. So deal with that. I guess that's a, that's your summary. There you go. Have 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 fun with that. Uh, I don't mean it to sound like I didn't like this movie. It's just really fucking hard to summarize. So there you go. Okie dokie. Um, my next plan segment for this amazing, amazing show is for me to go over all the preconceived notions that I had about this film before going in. I mean, that's part of the fun, right? Like, how much is this film a part of the lexicon? How much do I know before I watch it for the first time? Like, what are my expectations? Um, I feel like I have a list that's a lot longer than it should be, so I'm going to try to go through it really fast. I had, before I actually sat down and watched this movie, I'd seen, like, the first minute of it, that slow pull-out shot where the guy's like, oh, man, my daughter was, like, beaten by these dudes, and I need you to fucking kill them, dude. And it's obviously an all-timer. It's an amazing wonder. This guy delivers this whole thing. You, you kind of see uh, Don Corleone in profile a little bit, but you don't quite see him. For It's it's a great scene. Every scene in this movie is fucking great. Like, I don't know what to say. Like, every individual scene as like a piece is just so well constructed it's almost unbelievable but that all i wanted to get was confession i guess i had technically seen the first minute of this film one of the things about this movie though that's really interesting i realized as i was writing this list is i didn't know shit about the plot of this movie like this is a movie that i feel like people i feel like it's reasonable to say people consider this to be one of the top five movies of all time obviously you know it's own sequel gives it the run for its money supposedly i haven't watched it yet I have not watched godfather 2 yet well as of the recording of this episode but i didn't know what the hell the plot of the movie was so and the, honestly the first minute doesn't really give it away but i just want to be up front with you people i want to always be up front about what i know going into the movie i always knew there had something to do with like a, a guy finding his horse head in the bed that's I figured that would be like a big oh man big climax moment of the movie. No, no, that happens in like the first ten minutes. So the, and it was funny because as soon as the guy was like, "I got this six hundred thousand dollar horse, and it's fucking awesome," and uh, yeah, fuck off, Robert Duvall, get the fuck out of my house. It's like your fucking horse is gone, and sure enough, next scene, horse head. And even though I knew it was coming, still incredibly satisfying. Still incredibly satisfying. Fredo, I wrote Fredo question mark on this list, and I gotta say, Fredo is in this movie, but like one of the things I've always like heard associated with the Godfather movies is like, I know it was you, Fredo, and there's like the boat thing, like they, they take Fredo out on a boat and kill him. Like I do, I'm very aware of that scene, but that scene doesn't happen in this movie, so I, 
I'm going to guess it happens in Godfather 2, but like Fredo's, you know, up there with your all time Benedict Arnold. So I, I kind of there's there's like so much betrayal in this movie. Every other scene is like, ah, this guy fucked me over. I got to figure out what to do about that. And the one guy I knew that was a traitor was Fredo and he doesn't fucking do anything in this movie. So. That was an interesting expectation that was not fulfilled for this movie. They go, they go to Vegas and I keep thinking, oh, there's Fredo. There's Fredo. He's going to he's going to fucking he's going to fucking do something. Here he comes. And then now nah, it doesn't matter. It's, it's actually pretty interesting. Uh, so I guess I got that to, to look forward to in the second one. A buddy of mine, they always quote the uh, leave the gun, take the cannoli scene. So uh, as soon as that happened where they were taking uh Oh, God, what's his name? The guy who was sick when Marlon Brando got shot, and they were like, oh, it was, what's his name? Like, fucking, what was his name? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But uh, his wife mentions the cannoli as they're taking him out, and I was like, oh, shit, here comes the cannoli scene. But it was still really good. They do they do this, like, wide shot, and then this guy, like, rises up out of the back seat and shoots him. I thought it was pretty cool, but the, I feel like maybe I would have laughed out loud if I didn't know it was coming. So I knew, I knew the cannoli thing was about to happen, but it was it's still an enjoyable moment, I'd say. Uh, I wrote down Marlon Brando reads the script. That's just because obviously one of the famous factoids about this movie was that Marlon Brando didn't memorize his fucking lines. And people had to like hold their jackets out with the script inside of them and read it. But it's so funny because like uh, people love to talk about that. Like, oh man, he didn't even bother memorizing his lines but fuck his performance in this movie is truly truly amazing so it's i uh the wedding i think i wrote wedding question mark as like a reference to oh i can't refuse things on my daughter's wedding i don't know if that's even a remotely true thing about sicilians but it does make a nice framing device for like the first chunk of that movie you have all this like celebration going on this movie does a really good job juxtaposing things like got this happy celebration and then these like somber backroom meetings and stuff so honestly regardless of whether the oh i can't refuse offers when it's my daughter's wedding thing whether it's true or whether it's not it's still really great framing device and and it's it's kind of negligible to the plot or any reveals overall so in terms of like knowing about that going in oh wow i'm really fucking dragging my ass through this list offer you can't refuse i was surprised uh the first person to say offer you can't refuse is fucking al pacino in this movie like it's not something that brando says like to like establish power you know i just always assume like the first time they say that in the movie is like marlon brando's like you know make him an offer you can't refuse but no just like almost like barely as like an aside al pacino's like oh he made him offer he couldn't refuse and it's like wow he just Dropping it like that. I, I always think that's interesting. Certain things that get m- are so memorable for people about movies like that. They, al- I feel like they almost forget how it's played in the actual movie. It becomes this like legendary thing, you know, and, and it does come up a few times. Like it's a repeated line. I, I get why it sticks. But the first time it's like introduced in the movie, it's like almost so throwaway. It's it's really interesting that that kind of took me off guard because that whole scene's Al Pacino is just like, yeah, blonde chick that I, I brought to the wedding. Like our family kills people. So, you know, but not me. I'm cool. Uh, it is what it is. Don't worry about it. And I was just like, whoa, what the fuck? I wrote down Godfather spoofs. The reason I mention it is obviously this movie has been parodied in 
done to death. Like in quotations, I wrote Zootopia. There's like a whole scene where like a mouse is the godfather. It's another thing that I think is really interesting. These movies, they become part of like the cultural norm. There are certain parts of it that people just parody over and over and over and over. I always say that the movie 300, there's obviously the really famous scene where the guy's just like, this is... Sparta! And he like kicks the guy into the well and it's been done to death like a thousand times in other movies. People don't really take it seriously anymore, you know, but I watched that movie like when it first came out and when that movie first came out and you'd never seen something like that before and that he screams that and then kicks that dude in the well, that shit was fucking powerful, dude. It was the coolest thing I ever saw at the time. And it's just sad because I feel like it's hard. It's part of the interesting juxtaposition of the show in general is like I'm watching these movies for the most part well after the fact that they were experienced for the first time. So I'm not getting that first experience, that fresh, like, wow, we've never seen this before thing, you know? But at the same time, there are, I, I get it. Like, I can kind of take these other movies where, oh, there was this great moment and people like really latched onto it and they just did it over and over and over and over, you know? I feel like the stuff with The Godfather that gets parodied the most is almost like the beginning scene where people are coming to him and being like, Godfather, I need this favor. I need this favor. Like, it doesn't happen that much in the actual movie. But for some reason, people latched onto it. And that's like what they parody all the time. It's interesting to be like, oh, yeah, I kind of have an idea of what The Godfather is like. And it's just really not that at all i just think it's an interesting note i guess i don't have anything else to say about that though so huh i did write down a question of i didn't know if marlon brando was gonna die in this movie i'm like vaguely aware that godfather 2 like has some sort of like time loop thing going on where some of it's in the past and some of it's in like the present or i wasn't really sure what the deal was with that so i had no idea like what the fate of marlon brando's character was in this movie so i just was like does he die question mark he probably does but then again i don't know what the second movie's about so maybe he doesn't which makes the scene where he gets shot really early on especially shocking um I at least figured if he was going to die, it would happen like a lot later in the film. I figured he was like the patriarch. He's like the guy everyone remembers from the movie, the headliner, you know? Yeah, I just was like, I, when he gets shot early in the movie, that was that was a pretty big surprise to me. I wrote, I wrote down question mark Al Pacino, uh, and that's because I didn't know if he was even i knew he was involved with the godfather movies somehow lo and behold he's like basically the main character so yeah that question was answered excited for 70s feel i mean all that is is i just i enjoy personally i enjoy older movies so i like the look of the film the film grain you know the graininess of it and this movie definitely delivered on that uh i wrote is this a period piece I was very unaware of when Godfather was supposed to take place. I started seeing really old-looking cars early on, and I was like, I think this is a period piece, but they don't actually drop what the date of the time it's taking place in until, like, pretty late in the movie, so... That was kind of up in the air for me for a while. So, you know, just interesting fact for all of you people that have watched it like a thousand times. And you're just like, oh, yeah, it's like 1945. That's when it takes place. I had no fucking clue. It took like a half hour into the movie when they finally go, oh, it's going to be 1946 next year. I was like, oh, OK, so that's when this takes place. So, you know, just something to remember. You never know. Greatest movie ever. We shall see. We shall see. I don't know what I'm going to rate this film. Not in the slightest. I'm going to wing it like a motherfucker. Uh, I already mentioned that last note about feeling blind. So, hey, 
let's move on to the next segment. And uh, according to my notes, next segment is my actual review of the movie. I feel like I dragged my feet a lot during the part where I was talking about my preconceived notions. So I'm going to try really, really hard to speed through this review. Part of the nature of this podcast is that I really want my views of things to be as fresh as they could possibly be, which is why I'm recording at uh, 1.16 a.m. on a Wednesday night when I have to be at work the next day in the morning. I thought about pushing off the recording of this, but I feel like part of the fun of this show will be getting my true, honest, like, just finish the movie for the very first time, like, how do I feel type feelings. Wow, that's lame. That's really lame. Please, nobody listen to this show. Don't ever just... Just stop. Just walk away. You still have a chance. Just go. Just go. Don't listen to me blubber about this fucking movie anymore. Hey, those of you that are still here, I'm going to talk about my feelings about this movie. So I took some notes while I was watching the movie, and I'm going to just kind of go through them really quickly. The wedding was pretty entertaining to me because like a lot of the Italian stuff is like almost so seemingly cartoonishly over the top that it's kind of funny I, I like i know i get it they're using like real italian words but i'm like watching these actors and i'm like are these people even like fucking italian like i don't it's the kind of shit that people do when they're like trying to pretend to be italian like as a joke that was pretty interesting uh, i guess as a side note i'm gonna try to mostly focus on like my oh wow like didn't know this was coming impressions of the movie like i'm sure i'll get into like oh how i feel about it as a movie movie but I feel like part of the appeal of this show is hearing somebody react to this for the first time is hopefully the entertaining part. I don't know. I'm ending every sentence with a question mark because I'm unsure of myself. It took me a very long time to realize that Michael was Al Pacino. I was staring at his face for a very long time. And then finally I went, holy shit, is that fucking Al Pacino? And I wrote it down. Um, and it took me an even longer time to realize that the lawyer was Robert Duvall. I was like, huh, that guy kind of looks like the bad guy from the Jim Carrey The Mask movie. But it can't be because that movie takes place way later. Later than this movie and that guy looks even younger than he does in that movie and i stared at him for a while and i was like i think that's fucking robert duvall holy shit that's fucking robert duvall so that was fun another thing that's really interesting about this movie and i think i i think ultimately i enjoy it although i appreciate a good close-up is that there's so much of this movie that takes place in these like interesting medium and then like really wide shots but part of the what i reason i noticed it was because you you watch this wedding you see the bride like a million times but it's always from like this far away shot where she's dancing and there's this whole wedding party behind her and then it takes like a while to finally get like a close-up on her face and i was like oh man she looks really familiar and i just kept thinking that over and over and over and i guess like as a side note i really am doing my best not to pick up my phone while i watch these movies because i really want to just give my honest i watched it i didn't google anything about it opinions and so i'm staring at her face and i'm like i know this chick i know her she's so familiar familiar and finally i was like holy shit that's fucking rocky's wife oh my god it's her and i was like oh that was like such a like a mm. I, I tell you you know those moments where you're like oh i know this person i remember them um um and you, you give it like 10 seconds and you give up and you pull out your phone and you're like, I'm going to Google it. I promise you it's not even a tenth as satisfying as just letting it sit on your brain and then finally coming up with it on your own. It's feels so good. 
so good, but it also feels kind of shitty that you don't know the chick who played Rocky's wife's actual name. I had to wait till the actual credits to be like, ah, uh, her name is Talia Shire, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I apologize if I'm not. But, yeah, finally recognized her. That was fun. This movie's friggin' star-studded. Star-studded as a motherfucker. Um, made him an offer. Sonny's an asshole. Meta stuff. This is podcasting. As it... At its finest, as I'm looking at a piece of paper that I jotted notes down on, honestly, looking at it, I feel like it's not as interesting. Like, there's certain moments in the movie I had reactions to. I was like, oh, no, Luca's dead. Oh, shit, I can't believe Marlon Brando got gunned down. I don't believe it. And there's, like, the whole thing where Fredo, like, fumbles his gun. And I was like, oh, man, I know Fredo's a betrayal guy. So he, like, set this whole thing up. So I guess that was kind of a a weird inadvertent red herring that probably not a lot of people have dealt with because I know Fredo like betrays somebody at some point in this entire series. And so having him be the bodyguard and then having Marlon Brando get gunned down, it was like, Oh man, Fredo set this whole thing up. So I kept waiting for that to pay off over and over in the movie and it never did. So I guess that wasn't ever really a thing, but this movie is really interesting. It's obviously incredibly well shot. The script is probably impeccable. I haven't actually read the script. I'm a firm believer in scripts are their own thing and movies are their own thing. But just in terms of like how the scenes are constructed, like every scene, it, it just sings. Like it feels so good. Almost everything that happens in the movie like ends up paying off. Even the smallest things, like almost every favor Marlon Brando is granting to people at the beginning of the movie like comes back in some small way. Or even in some big way. And it was just cool, like, not knowing where the movie was going, having that stuff keep happening over and over. Like, even just small things like, oh, yeah, the guy whose daughter got beat up, I granted him a favor, and now he's going to take care of Sonny's body. And obviously, it wasn't, like, a huge thing, but you still get that great scene where he's like, they massacred my boy. Yeah, seriously, Marlon Brando, just killing it in this movie. And I gotta say, having not seen this movie ever, there's two things that I really, really like about this movie was, A, the timing of a lot of scenes was really impeccable. The scene where they keep calling Luca, Michael, call, you know, you can be on the phone, call, call, you might as well call Luca again. And as he's like on the phone, they get like a message that Luca's dead. It means he's sleeping with the fishes. And it just cuts to the shot of Michael like, Ah, oh, fuck. And he just, like, hangs up the phone. I was just like, wow. That timing, like, the care that went into that, like, the thought. It's just... And, and I bring this up because it's especially relevant to this show because I haven't experienced these moments before. The timing of certain things was... I was I was really in the moment for a lot of things. You know, they're coming out of the movie theater. Michael's with Kay. And she's like, would you like me better if I was a nun? He's like, ah, I don't give a shit. And she's like, how about if I was Inger Bergman? He's, like, kind of mulling it over and you get that shot at Casey in a newspaper stand and then he like mistakes her silence for being kind of shitty with him not answering right of the way and he's just oh no 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 I don't I don't remember and she just is like no 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 that's not what it was like there's just like little moments like that where especially I feel like I mean things get better the more you watch them but just experiencing it for the first time. Like, I was just like, oh, she's kind of shitty. And then, because I, I didn't notice she was even not looking at him. And then you see the newspaper thing, and you're like, oh, oh no. Yeah, she saw that Marlon Brando was maybe dead. And like, it just sets off this whole thing. Like, the timing of a lot of moments in this movie were just really good. Along with that, like, a lot of the scenes are really focused on like building up the tension and having never watched this movie. 
before vis-a-vis the premise of this show. I've used the word vis-a-vis twice now. That's not a word. That's a phrase. But I don't even know if I'm using it correctly. I literally never say that when I'm talking. And for some reason, I've used it twice now. Three times technically to explain it. Um, So forgive me for that. I'm a fucking moron. I apologize. Anyway... What I was saying about the tension in the movie is like there's a lot of moments there. This, this movie does like such a good job of setting things up and then using the promise of violence to put you on the edge of your seat. And it, it hardly ever like fully engages in it. And it's just it's really like it's a really withdrawn pulled back movie in that way. One of my favorite scenes was Michael going to the hospital and being like, where the hell are all the guards? Oh man, they're coming to kill my dad. Even just the scene where they're like trying to roll Marlon Brando into another room. Like it just a lot of filmmakers today, like this movie was made in the seventies. Like modern day film, it would just be like cut, cut, cut. Oh God, he's looking. Oh, man, cut to wheel, close up on the wheel, it hits the wall. Oh, screech, screech. Oh, oh no, she's like looking nervous and she's it's like just like cut, 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 cut to like raise the tension when a lot of that scene is just it's like this wide shot. They come out in the hall. They kind of like wheel him towards this door. They like open the door. And it's like kind of hard to open the door while they're pushing the gurney. And she's like trying to hold it. It's just like, and the whole time I just was like, oh God, are they going to like come up now? It's just, and then it, the scene after that is him going out to the front steps with Enzo and just being like, pretend you have a gun. Pretend you have a gun. And they're just standing there. And you just, you know, like the movie does such a good job of like setting up the stakes. Like it's like, you know, everyone in that car is strapped. And they could get out and just blow Michael and Enzo away. No problem if they felt like it. But they just posture and you watch it and you're tense. You're like, I don't know where this is going to go. And they drive off and you're just like, oh, shit. Wow, that was that was so fucking intense. Like uh, the tension in this movie is just so good. And especially for me, like having never seen it, I just... I had no idea which characters were expendable. It's like such a big family. It's like very Games of Throny in that way, where I was like, anybody could die at any moment, and I just feel on edge all the time. I never know when someone's going to just randomly get shot, you know, and all the stuff with Al Pacino. I feel like today we know him as like this, like over the top. It's like, you're out of order. Just like he yells in like every movie. But this whole movie's so subdued. There's like only. I remember thinking, like, towards the end of the movie, I was like, has anyone even yelled in this movie even once? And then finally, like, right towards the end, Al Pacino, like, slams the desk and says, like, enough to, like, K. But, like, other than that, it's just, like, Marlon Brando never raises his voice. Al Pacino's, like, so pulled back in his performance. It's, like, almost all facial acting. It was just so damn good. Their performance in this movie was just truly incredible. Like, regardless of whatever you feel about the script, about the story, about how it's put together. The performances themselves were just, oh man, they were so on point. All of that said, I'm going to delve into a little bit of, I wouldn't even quite call them criticisms of the movie that I had, but just like some things, especially like having not watched the movie on repeat all the time and become so familiar with it. Just like the first time through, I'm like kind of a little off put by how some of the things were handled. You have the whole first chunk of the movie. It seems to all take place in like a really condensed time period because like all that stuff happens. And like one of the big time signifiers in this movie is that Al Pacino having like that big old bruise on his face. And he has that damn bruise on his face. He runs off to Italy. 
He's still got the bruise on his face. He meets this chick. He's still got the bruise on his face. They kind of montage him falling in love with her. But by the time they got married, he's still got a fucking bruise on his face. So, look, I've had bruises on my face before. Like, I'm not doing this thing to get in depth with my personal life. But I've had a couple cage fights. And I got messed up. And within like a month or two, I was relatively back to normal. So I'm just saying like that leads me to believe Al Pacino ran away, went to Sicily, met this chick, was like, I got the hots for her and like married her all within the span of like two months. And like, I'm pretty sure he was like still bruised and fucked up when she got blown up. So the time it took him to fall in love with marry a chick and then get her killed was like not even three months, I would guess. I found that whole thing a little strange like i'm very curious what the point of that whole subplot was like I, are, are we to believe that it's kind of him starting to feel his oats a little bit give in to his passions like i deserve this i'm passionate enough to kill these two guys i'm passionate enough to run across the country and marry this chick on a whim supposedly like and the whole time he was with her i had no idea how into him she was you barely get to see their relationship build and then they're married and then like she seems like really tentative on their wedding night but then she she's the one that strips so i guess that makes it okay i don't know i i, I had a couple problems with that whole subplot it's so it, and it's strange to say that out loud too because like every actual scene that happens in the movie as its like own condensed thing is so well handled and fun to watch it's hard to like criticize it as a whole but i did find the whole marrying some random chicken sicily subplot to be a little strange and it makes michael a little more disingenuous when he comes back and he's just like oh, okay i love you so much i can only do this with you and i want to add that again part of this podcast is i'm recording it for the very first time after having just watched it chances are i'm going to miss a lot of the points of the movie because i've had a lot of time to meditate on it and i get that part of that is sort of building Michael's character probably into like the man that he is you know if he's a man that's impulsive enough to kill as many people as he does he probably is a man that's impulsive enough to just marry some chick in a foreign country but it was strange and I found myself being like I have no idea where this is going and then when it just ends abruptly with a car bomb it was like uh okay I guess um that's a thing that happened, uh, good thing he was teaching her to drive because she sure did take that car bomb for him. And chances are she's probably fucking pregnant, too, because I highly doubt that Al Pacino wears a rubber. I mean, you know, I feel like that's fair to say. I wrote, wow, racist, because, yeah, this movie, and I get, I get it. It's making a point set in the 40s. We have these Sicilians, Sicilians classically were a downtrodden people in the americas along with the irish they were looked down upon and so for them to kind of have a sort of hate boner for black people is like a, oh but they're lower than us i get it that's a character portrayal but it is still a little bit shocking to hear some of the stuff they say in this movie again i get it it's a characterization not even any of the characters we were supposed to... Like, all the characters that we're supposed to care about, none of them ever were, like, racist in the movie. And I, I clocked that a little bit. But at the same time, I was just like, holy shit, that was fucking crazy to hear out of nowhere. For a movie that... You got this huge chunk in the movie where Al Pacino just has a black eye for, like, a vast majority of the movie. At least it felt like it at the time. Because, like, 
uh, to be honest, this movie does drag a little bit. I kept wanting to check how far along I was because, like, it's a slow movie. And I like that. I, I appreciate a slow movie that takes its time and stuff. But it's a fucking three hour movie when, like, at least the first hour is just Al Pacino with a black eye. You just I'm like, is this, is this the whole movie? I don't even understand. And then just suddenly he's like, it's been a year. Cake. Come marry me. Like, there's just this really awkward time jump that happens in the movie. And again, like, I want to stress, yeah, if you've seen the movie before, you're probably very used to this. But having seen it for the first time, like, I felt a little disoriented. I spent so much time being like, oh, there's Al Pacino with the black eye. And he's got that rag he keeps putting up to his nose to, like, emphasize that it's broken. And he keeps doing it. And then it's just like, bam, cut to a scene where he's like, it's been a year, right? And I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what, what the hell is even happening right now? Time jump was a little awkward. Wow, I feel like I've really gotten off track. Facts of facts, like the, the movie's good. It's a good movie. Every scene is really good. Even little things just feel like there was a lot of thought put into them. I, I liked all the characters. They felt really flushed out. Like, even though there's like some interesting like emotional jumps that people make. It does such a good job of like just being like, I feel like I know who this character is. You watch, especially Al Pacino's character, you watch him go through like his whole arc. I, I feel like it's fair to say he's essentially the main character of this movie. You establish Marlon Brando. He's, he's this really like chill, collected guy. And then you have Al Pacino. He's like, I'm not involved with the family, but Al Pacino has easily the biggest arc in the movie of I'm not involved with the business I'm kind of involved with the business because fuck them they try to gun down dad he kills two people which I, I will say like and I, I definitely didn't want any like shitty war flashbacks like crammed into this movie but I, I found myself very curious like he's he's supposed to be like a military man and they, they offhandedly mentioned that he's like a hero a couple times it's like I was very curious if he'd taken a life before that scene where he guns those two dudes down. He was he was super nervous about it, which made me feel like he hadn't. But I also get that it's a completely different situation. So I, I'm not sure. I don't know. Is it more interesting that it wasn't really addressed? Or is it kind of like a missed opportunity? I'm, I'm really not sure. You know, I mean, it ends up closing out with that really great last scene where he's finally like, you know what, You can just this one time you can ask me anything. And she's like, did you, did you kill... Did you kill Rocky's fake husband? And he's just like, nah. And she just immediately is like, cool. I totally believe you're telling the truth. And then you get that classic. She walks into the other room and the guys surround him and, they're, and they close the door. The separation of the two, which I assume feeds into the second movie. I, again, I have literally no idea what the plot of the second movie is. Even less than the plot of this movie, but... The scenes are great. There's like some interesting logic leaps that I feel like you have to make, but all the conversations are just so important. It all plays into each other. You just got, and there's like so much like depth going on in this movie. Like there's so many layers, like every conversation is like, yeah, here's part of this. Some of this has to do with the plot, but some of this has to do with my relationship with you. And some of this has to do with how you're feeling in the world. That scene where Al Pacino is talking to like older Marlon Brando and he's like, Remember, whoever tries to set up that meeting with you, they're the they're the traitor. They're gonna kill you, and then and, and that that whole scene that he introduces the idea of like I felt like you were gonna be the one pulling the strings and not dancing on him. Like that's clearly where that really evocative imagery for the whole series comes from with the puppet master string with the hand. Like that's like the classic. You think Godfather? You think that puppet cross thing that they hold in their hands with the strings on them? And it's like literally, clearly all just 
derivative from that one scene where they talk about it. It's like never mentioned anywhere else. That's just a clear example of how memorable every scene in this movie is. Like it's just really well put together. And it's interesting. I find myself at a loss at this point because I really do feel like it's a movie that needs a lot of time to be meditated on to explore the themes of it. Like it's just every scene's got so much going on to it. Like it's a movie I feel like I could watch like 10 times and still not even scratch the surface of like what's going on with the movie. But fuck it. I mean, that's the nature of this podcast. Here's my fresh. I just watched it for the first time with no hangups. Honestly, my expectations were this is going to be really good because everyone seems to really love this movie, but that's about it. And, you know, I feel like that takes me pretty clearly into the next segment of this thing where I give a movie a rating because, I mean, people like numbers. And I think I'm going to use the classic uh, 10, one being the worst, 10 being the best. But I want to stress that my ratings for the movies that I do on this podcast are going to be a little skewed because the nature of it is going to be that I'm watching some of the best movies ever made. Ever. Movies that are considered classic. And I do think that in a duration of doing this show, should I decide to continue it, if I ever listen back to this and realize what a heinous, heinous mistake this was, maybe I'll never do another one. But if I decide to continue it, I'll probably stretch the definition of classic a lot. I might just do movies that people just remember fondly, you know, like part of the fun might be doing something like a a face off. Like a lot of people love that movie. I don't know. I've never watched it all the way through. Um, I have a list that's so long of movies I've never seen that a lot of people enjoy. A lot of people consider classics. I've never watched Citizen Kane. I've never watched uh, Gone with the Wind. I mean, my God, like I have I have the list on my computer. Hopefully it doesn't make a lot of noises. I click over to it. But I remember I was going to read a bunch of like, okay, yeah, so Godfather 2, a lot of Stanley Kubrick films, Chinatown. Ooh, that's a big one. Um, I, I'm not gonna bore you. I'm not gonna bore you people with the details, but I've I've not watched a lot of movies to be honest. I missed out on a lot of classics, and that's gonna be part of the fun of going through this movie. But again, I stress the nature of this is that I'm gonna be watching movies that are some of the best of the best, and my metrics are gonna be skewed. And th- this is The Godfather. This is the movie I'm starting out with. It's gonna be the benchmark. This is gonna be the movie where. I judge every other movie I watch from this point against this movie. And it's hard because like, I feel like on a normal day, like it's like you're comparing this to any other movie on a scale of 10. I mean, this is a 10 out of 10 all the way through baby, like no doubt, but I can't do that. Like in terms of this show, I, the metric has to be somewhat skewed. It has to because I mean, a lot of people say that the Godfather 2 is better than the Godfather. And if I gave this movie a 10 out of 10, then what the fuck would I give the Godfather 2 if it truly is a better movie? So I'm going to take a drink now because I must steal myself for what I'm about to do. I wow, I really don't even know what score I'm going to give it yet. Like, because some of the movies I watch will be crappy, so I can't just give this like a five because that that'd be too much like because this was a good movie this is a great movie i really enjoyed watching it i mean laying all my cards on the table when i 
even before I watched this movie, I had it in my head that I was going to give it a 7 out of 10 because I feel like that's a really good line to set. And like, again, I stress like 7 out of 10 in terms of this show is not nearly the same as like a 7 out of 10 in regular life. It's it's like a lot of these movies I watch, they're going to be 10s just flat out. So I have to kind of do the opposite of curving the grade, you know. So I, going in, I was like, it's a 7 out of 10. I don't care how good it is. Even if I never give anything over a seven, I'll just say, fuck it, it's a seven. But I had a friend like caution me against that. Like, he's like, you know, watch the movie first and see how you feel. And I gotta say, um, it wasn't, again, I, I haven't literally, obviously, the point is it's the first time I ever watched it, but it wasn't as great as I thought it would be. It was so good and there's so much thought put into it, but. I don't know, man. I just feel like thematically it was really strong. I don't want to give it a seven because I don't. I don't want to give it a seven because that was my like preconceived going into it. I'm just gonna give it a seven no matter what. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it an eight point five out of ten. That's gonna be my benchmark. It's Godfather. It was a great movie. All the performances were great. I really enjoyed watching it. I'm so so glad to finally have it under my belt. I mean, shit, man. I love crime movies, and I feel like every, almost every crime movie is like somehow a derivative of this. It's so good to finally have watched it. Here on Clear Tinted Classics, my shitty name for my shitty podcast, I'm giving The Godfather an 8.5 out of 10. And before I move on to what will be basically my last segment, I happened to glance at my notes as I was flipping back, and my God, that baptism scene, holy fuck. Wow, that was so good. Just, oh man, I'm not a sinner and just people getting gunned down. Every scene in this movie is so good on its own, just as its own like standalone thing. I'm just, I feel like I need time to really like process it as a cohesive piece. But fuck, man, the baptism scene. And then, oh, he's so cold. I was pretty sure he was going to kill Carlo, but it was just, it did just a good enough job of making me think that maybe he won't. Maybe he really won't. And then Carlo gets in the car, and you see, uh, what's his name, Clemente, behind him. And I was like, that guy's fucking dead. And even that was still good, because like the scene, it's just like, God, the cinematography in this movie is so good. He kicks out the windshield. It's just everything is so memorable. I really hope giving this movie an 8.5 out of 10 isn't going to come back to haunt me, because it was so good. And it's hard to imagine watching a movie that's truly better than this but that's gonna be my benchmark 8.5 that's what it is so moving on to the last segment of this podcast another stupid thing about me is not only have i missed a lot of classic movies i've also watched a lot of obscure dumb shit just turning on to hbo and showtime at random times at night stuff like that and so i want to use the last part of this show to recommend things that maybe people haven't seen just as a gift for anyone who's bothered to tune in for this probably truly abhorrent uh first episode i want to give you two films that i recommend i'm going to try my best to fit them into a sort of similar tone to the movies that I do for the episode. The Godfather is sort of a crime drama movie. So I'm going to recommend two of my favorite movies of all time. A playwright by the name of Martin McDonough. He made a movie called In Bruges. 
And he made a movie called Seven Psychopaths, and they're two of my favorite movies of all time. I feel like not that many people have seen them. I highly, highly recommend both of them. In Bruges is a little more withdrawn, subdued. You got Colin Farrell, one of my favorite actors of all time, and you got Brendan Gleeson, and they're these hitmen who are hiding in Bruges. It's really, really great. The next movie he made was Seven Psychopaths, which was, again, Colin Farrell, but then this time, this time you got Sam Rockwell, and you got Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken himself. Holy shit, that's not a fucking impression of Christopher Walken. Can I do a Christopher Walken impression? I can, but I have to get into it. But I'm not going to. Because of all the embarrassing things I've done so far on this show, me getting into a Christopher Walken impression is not going to be one of them. Okay. But I just did it. I just did it just for you people. Just for any poor bastard that's still listening to this show. I did it for you. Just know that. But yeah, I highly recommend both those movies. Martin McDonough, he's great. I dream of seeing one of his plays on stage someday. Uh, But yeah, In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths. Two for one special for the first episode. Check both of them out. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. They're great. Great. (sighs) So yeah, that's going to do it for me. I've been your host, Jake Baker. The show is called Clear Tinted Classics. And hopefully I'll catch you guys on the flip-flop next time when I review the next classic. Oh yeah, that was truly memorable.